Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson. I am an author, yoga teacher, healer, social worker, dismantling racism trainer, activist, and grief worker. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times, and to remind us about the resilience and joy that comes from allowing ourselves to find refuge. Today's interview is with Kanae Miller. Kanae is a change invoker and inner work instigator that has been teaching multiple styles of yoga since 2015. She completed her initial yoga teacher training at the Hawaii Yoga Institute on the island of Oahu and is the proud owner of Transformation Yoga, South Carolina's only Black, veteran, and woman-owned yoga studio. Transformation Yoga provides the tools of yoga and meditation to the essential lives of Black, Indigenous, and people of color that have been underserved, underrepresented, and marginalized from an anti-racism, anti-oppression, and trauma-informed framework. There's so much more to learn and know about Kane. Please check out the show notes for more information about her and information about how to connect with Kane and Transformation Yoga. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, Kane. Hi. It is good to see you. Thank you for saying yes to being a guest on this podcast and spending time with me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to have a conversation with you and to hear from you because I feel like often we're in spaces where we're in trainings or there are a lot more people and we're not necessarily in, we're in virtual space right now, but in space where I get to hear just from you. And so I'm really excited. There's like spaciousness around the conversation that is not often there when we are in most of our training space. I would love for you to share some about who you are, what you do in the world and however you want to answer that question. So my name is Kene Miller. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And right now I live on the Kuso land. I'm working on really acknowledging land justice. I believe that I show up in the world as a change invoker, a inner work instigator. I ask lots of questions and I like to challenge things. And I do that a lot of times by way of guiding others in yoga spaces and in conversations. I seek liberation through not only my marriage and the work that the energy or healing work that I show up in the world to do, but even in my connection with nature and raising two young people and guiding them in their lives and hopefully guiding them in a way that leads to them living liberated and their fullest expression of themselves. That's a little bit about me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is. I know there's a lot more we'll get into. And I'm trying to remember when we first met and I don't remember exactly where we were or when that happened because we've been online so much over the past few years with one another in spaces. And I was imagining that we met somehow through wellness yoga something. And so I'm curious about your path to yoga, how it found you, how you found it, what it means to you. If I remember correctly, we met the first time 
it was at Asheville Yoga Festival. And I remember going to a panel discussion and hearing you speak and just the presence that you had when you showed up in the space. It was exactly what I needed and what I was looking for in that moment. It really, for me, affirmed my relationship to my yoga practice and to how I came into the practice and what I wanted to offer. So I started practicing yoga when I was in high school and I grew up in Colorado. It was a very small Black community. So practicing yoga and being a Black girl was very interesting. But I found yoga because I used to do gymnastics and we used to laugh and joke all the time about levitating. And so when I got the opportunity to practice yoga at a local YMCA, I went to try it. And for me being a type A personality and having two parents that were going through a rough divorce, it gave me this sense of calm that belonged to me and no one else. I didn't have to share it. I felt, although I was in classes with everyone else, it just felt like my own piece of sanity that nobody could take away from me. And even though it felt like the foundation of who I am with my parents divorcing was shaky and trying to sort through all of those things and being a teenager where I'm on that brink of adulthood and trying to figure out what I'm going to be and how I'm going to show up in the world. And also everything that I've known as far as my foundation of my parents being one thing and now it's something else. Yoga really, for me, it felt like a bomb. Like I could show up however I felt and the practice gave me more of me. Mm-hmm. And so I had been practicing yoga for 11 years prior to becoming a yoga teacher because initially when I was practicing, I never thought of, oh, I could lead this. I could teach this. I was just in awe of what the practice had to give. And as I later joined the military, so every time I got to travel, I got to go to different places and there was always yoga classes. So I had experienced such a broad range of yoga that one specific style just didn't fit for me. And so in 2013, when I was ready to become a yoga teacher, I kept thinking, I don't know what style I would choose because from my experience, all of them have helped me and sculpted me in a different way. And ended up training in 2015 and I found a school that taught multiple styles. So that really resonated with me and what I would be able to offer to others that show up in space to be with me. I love what you said about yoga and your journey and it allowing you to be you, which really sounds like wholeness, right? Coming back to yourself and showing up as you are being in the space. And we know that is the essence of yoga. And yet that's not how the industry is set up. And I know you're a yoga studio owner. And so I would love for you to share some about the space you've created, because I just know, because I know you, that you've probably cultivated a space that allows people to show up as they are in their fullness and messiness and wholeness. And I'm just curious to know more about that and that journey and what it is like to be a space holder in that way. Created is transformation yoga. And I believe it's not a moment, it's more of a movement. And I say that because before I became a yoga teacher, I had been in Charleston for eight years. And what I needed in a yoga practice, I couldn't find in, at the time, the two studios that were here. And those two same two studios had YTT programs. But again, I never saw any people of color in those programs. And the reason that really bothered me is Charleston is such a historical point of reference, especially when it comes to the Black or African-American community. And they have some kind of figure out there that over 40% of African-Americans 
or Black folks in America came through Charleston and our ancestors were enslaved. And so to be in such a rich place where our ancestry lies and to not have a healing space of our own, I feel like I was called to do that and to honor just what our ancestors have done and the work that still needs to take place. So that transformation yoga, we really do invite people to come in as themselves, whether that's the teachers or ourselves. It's very interesting. Sometimes folks feel like, how should I show up in this space? Or do I have to dress a particular way? Or do I have to do a certain thing? And especially for our teachers, I just remind them that what people receive is what's authentically you, what's authentically in you. And that's what will resonate with people. We don't have to put on airs and pretend to be someone or something that we're not. We like to address the elephant in the room by naming exactly what it is and then moving forward from there and allowing folks to process it. And so when we create space, we've created space very intentionally, not only to honor the roots and the lineages of yoga, but also uplift our African ancestry. Where our studio happens to be located is it's downtown Charleston in the historic district. It's right at the intersection of King Street and Market Street. And Market Street is known for being one of the market locations where during enslavement, you would see Black bodies in chains down there waiting to be purchased. You would see folks trading grains, rice, sugar, cane, all of the things. And so having the opportunity to open our studio in a place like where we're at really feels like an honoring of the ancestors that although so much trauma and sorrow and pain has happened there, now we also get to recreate and re-envision what healing looks like. And not just for us right now in this present moment, but ancestrally for all of our lineages. And so I'm just honored and grateful, truthfully, to be a vessel to do that work and lead in the way that spirit guides me to. I'm grateful that you listen to spirit and your ancestors and respond. And that's part of how your space emerged. And there's a real, in listening to you, a real reverence for history and your ancestors and just even the location of the space and what you're trying to create that's so counter to the history of white supremacy and dominant culture, creating a space for us, for folks of color. So I'm deeply grateful for you and your work and the, just the space that you've created. And you mentioned ancestors, and I am curious to know if there's a way you connect with your ancestors. Are there different practices? Are there different ancestors that you want to call in? Just would love to know more about your connection with them. Absolutely. So the first ancestor that I always call in is my mother. Her name was Tracy and my parents were very big. Both of them were very big on names and meanings of names. And so my mom originally didn't like her name, Tracy, but she realized that Tracy was derived from Teresa, which means to gather and to gather folks. And so I always honor my mother first because although she transitioned, she, for me, was always my first spiritual teacher as far as building a connection and listening, trusting my intuition, even when I was a child, like I could have a dream and go tell my mom and she would never be like, oh, that's crazy or that's absurd. She taught me to really listen to that and to lean into what it was guiding me to do. I would tell her because I grew up very religious. I don't think that I hear from God and she's God's not a booming voice. The spirit sounds like a voice that is very familiar to you. And so oftentimes when I hear spirit, it actually sounds like my mother's voice. 
I would definitely say my mother is my first ancestor, Tracy. And then I would also call in my grandmother on my father's side. Her name was Shirley Ann. And she was a very tall woman. She was over six feet tall. And I would call her in because as an ancestor, I see the fight and I hear the fight in her. And so I like to believe the definition of my name that I've given myself. My father's name is Kenneth and I was actually named after him. My mother named me Kenneth from Kenneth. And Kenneth means handsome, but there's no real definition for Kenneth. So I took that to mean that it means beautiful warrior. And so I learned and embraced the healing from my mother and that side of her family and ancestry and the fight and the warrior I also embraced from my father's side and with my grandmother, Shirley, and other ancestors that I connect with. I usually connect with them, one in prayer, and then also in nature, whether that's walking barefoot or really putting my hands in the soil and just feeling the soil in my nails, the smell of it, the richness of it. Because I really believe that even though so many of our ancestors have transitioned, what nourishes the soil is their blood, their sweat, their tears. It's the nutrients that they've put back so that now when we do see trees or when we do see foliage, that's our ancestors coming back to speak with us. And so those are probably two of the most, yeah, two of the strongest ways that I connect with the ancestors and and lean in and listen to what they have to say. I love what you said about when we see foliage or you're talking about the natural world and the way I heard it use different words is that's our ancestors are speaking to us in that way, or that's a a reminder of them. And I also love what you said that your mom said about spirit, not being a booming voice, but a voice that's familiar. That's really beautiful to, to hear. That's how intuition feels to me in a connection with ancestors and spirit too, except my grandmother (laughs) has a booming voice when she really wants me to know something. Otherwise, it's a little quiet and subtle, but familiar to me. So thank you for sharing those practices. Do you, in your space holding and your work in the world, do you bring ancestors into that? Do you bring that into your teaching in some way? Or this obviously it's in the space you've created because of who you are and where the space is. But are there specific things that ways that you bring this into your work? Hmm. I do. I feel like, especially when I'm creating something, a workshop or curating something that's like really resonating with my heart that I hear spirit guiding me to do. I actually bring a picture of my mother and a picture of my grandmother and I like prepare them around me with all of the elements that I'm using to create, whether that's books and writing and journaling. I try to always bring the essence of a lot of who they were. The first time I ever saw amethyst crystals was actually my grandmother's and she had gifted it to my father. And then although I grew up very religious and my mother was also a minister in the church, she had crystals as well. My first crystals that I ever purchased for myself were like replicates of the crystals that I saw my mother had. And so I usually bring leucite and bloodstone and some amethyst and rose quartz around me when I'm creating just so that I feel and listen to them as they're speaking to me and I'm creating. And then a lot of times what else I do is in our yoga studio, in our space, I don't believe that you can really I believe that healing happens in a lot of different ways. And sometimes you need the warrior in that healing and there's other times you need the nurturer. And I think 
it's okay to acknowledge and honor both of those at the same time. There are times in healing work where you have to call a spade a spade and name what it is and challenge it. And then there's other times where there needs to be a nurturing. There needs to be a softness about it. And so I try to always bring both of those into practice and into creation as I hold space at our studio, for example. That's where I was going with that. On our altar, we do have an altar, but we don't have any deities on our altar. One, because that's not what resonates, especially with the people that regularly come into the studio space. And we wanted to honor that. We also wanted to honor the trauma that can be presented for folks that have suffered or experience depression because of religion. And so we actually have liberators on our altar. So we have Frederick Douglass. We have a picture of Denmark Vesey. We have Septima Clark on our altar. And those are liberators, but also freedom fighters that they knew when the warrior needed to come out and they knew when that nurturer needed to come out. And so I guess that would be the way that I honor my ancestors through the work that I create and naming them. I love that, the altar of liberators. I've never heard anyone say they offer that kind of practice. Although I know people call in people who have fought the race construct, for example, or been freedom fighters. But the way you just described it, that's really beautiful and powerful. And it also speaks to the, you said you're thinking about what will resonate with the people who are coming into the space and just the location of the space and also honoring who you are and where you're from. And so I just love that altar of liberators and the presence of them in this space. So thank you for sharing that with me and with the listeners. Speaking of ancestors and the moment we're in, so we're recording this, of course, in the middle of the pandemic is still happening and the numbers are escalating every day and white supremacists just stormed the Capitol or were let into the Capitol. Rather, the gates were open for them the other day, which Mm -hmm. is different than storming the Capitol. Let me be clear. And there's just a lot spinning in the atmosphere. Some of it's not new and some of it feels shocking and certainly distressing. And I always ask everyone the meaning they're making of this moment. Like what is going on from your wisdom, from what you understand, what meaning are you making of this moment? What I'm making in this moment, what feeling I'm feeling, what I feel spirit is guiding me to is that for a lot of people, there was this, or even in the past, not just people, there has been this new year, new you, that as soon as the calendar changes, all of the things in the past can be left and that's it. It's a new day. We turn over a new leaf. We don't even know what happened on that calendar because we're not looking back at it. And I feel like even in this moment with what's happening and coming out is really another opportunity amongst the pandemic itself for us to really realize that there is not going to be a moving forward without actually acknowledging the wounds. We're not at a place anymore in our world and in our society as a whole where we can pretend that what's happening is not happening. We can't shut our eyes anymore. We can't act like everything is just back to normal. And it's almost when you do act like that at this point, you're the, like the sore thumb. You just stick out so much more when people are trying to go back to normal. We all know what just happened yesterday. We don't know that, not that I'm asking for that, but we don't know that was the end either. And so how can we simultaneously be in faith and move in spirit towards what we're envisioning to happen and also be aware of what's happening right now without it moving us into fear? And I feel like 
especially for folks that are really wanting liberation. We're being challenged to look at, do we want liberation or do we want control? And if we want liberation, we have to want that liberation for everyone. I am not by any means condoning the behavior and the terror that was caused, but I am also acknowledging, I think from a spiritual and healer standpoint, that somewhere within each of those beings that chose to be there, there's a deep healing that needs to take place. We have to look at ourselves as a society and also say, what has happened that when Democrats were in power, that Republicans felt oppressed or they felt ignored, that this was their only way to take action and have their voices heard? And so I think we're just in a point of reckoning for everybody. Either we're going to face it or we're going to try to put a Band-Aid on. And every time we put that Band-Aid on, like the wound is festering under there. It's getting hot. It's getting infected. And it's oozing out of the side until that Band-Aid falls off. And so are we going to replace that Band-Aid or are we going to really clean it out, clean out that wound, acknowledge what is, get the stitches and do what we really need to do to take care of it and actually heal and move forward in the way that serves all of us for liberation? Yes. As you were saying that, it's funny, I I had a question about not canceling people that came up as you were sharing that, which I'll ask you in a moment, because it's something that that I've noticed about you, just how you hold space and how you think about liberation. And I really appreciate what you named about just the curiosity of what was going on for those folks that made them feel like that was the only step they could take. And you're not necessarily saying that you need to do that healing work. You're not naming that's your work. You're just naming it needs to happen. And I, I just love that because I think if we're here for liberation, we're here for liberation, right? Even if we get there differently and we have different work to do and some of us need to rest and some of us need to be in the streets and that could switch at some point based on what we're fighting for or calling for or calling in. I think at times it can be challenging for people to hold multiple truths and that's what you're doing, what you just shared. That's part of what you're doing and that the reckoning for everyone, not just a certain group of people. And what came up for me about cancel culture is that, and I think it's more rampant because of social media, like people will just cancel people, call them out, go after them in this way without any relationship. And something I've noticed about you is what you just named about liberation and being here for liberation for all. What does it actually mean to be here for everyone's liberation with an awareness that like, some of us clearly were not set up to be free and liberated and that there are systems in place to hold us in this space of suffering and not being free. And I'm just curious about what do you feel like either who taught you that, what contributed to this? My sense is it's just who you are. How do you hold to your value and belief in liberation for all in this way that does not necessarily cancel people, but calls people in? If that feels true for you, that's something I've witnessed and observed in you and heard you talk about in a certain way. And that's what made me curious about it. Because not every organizer, healer, social change person is able to do that. And I think it's part of what is required if we're going to actually create a space of liberation and like self-determination and thriving for all. So that's where my question is coming from. Okay. Part of me feels like it's the nature of who I am, but also I have to give credit to both of my parents. Again, my father is very much the fighter. And I haven't dived as deep as I would like to my father's lineage from what he has shared. He's a descendant of the Seminole Indian tribe. And briefly, like the Seminoles are the only ones that have never signed a treaty with the U.S. government out of all of the tribes in this country on Turtle Island. And 
even in their career fields that they chose. My father went from the military to being a police officer, and my mother was a nurse that specialized with palliative care. And so I remember growing up, even as a little girl, the first time I experienced someone calling me the N-word, my parents never taught me to hate that person. They asked me, of course, how it made me feel and how I would want that person to feel if I were to do the same to them. And so I feel like my parents did a really great job of instilling in me and my siblings asking questions. Even my mother did that a lot. I'd be like, mom, I really like these shoes. What do you think? What do you think? And I'm like, I didn't ask you that. But even if I brought my mom a dream, or even if I said, mom, I feel like the spirit has led me to do this new thing or changing career fields. They always led me to ask questions. If that's what you feel you need to do, then you should do that. Or what do you think that means to you? How do you think that resonates? And so I never witnessed my mother in all of her experiences or even my father in his experiences. I've never witnessed them cancel people and throw them away. There was always a desire to just honor where people are at and also honor people where they're at in a way that doesn't mean they have to be right smack dab in my life, engaging with me regularly because that could be harmful as well to myself. And so really learning to create those boundaries and just honor people where they're at, where some of us are in our journeys are not going to be the same ever, maybe. And for some people, it might take them a little bit longer to be there. Again, I credit that to my parents, but I also credit a lot of that to how I want to show up in the world. I have always known what my purpose was and how I wanted to show up in the world. And I moved from that place. And in addition to that, I know that in this point, what I'm here to do is much bigger than I am. I believe I'm an ancestor in training. And the only way you get to be that ancestor that folks want to call on or that people seek for guidance when you do transition or even before you transition is by walking the talk, embodying exactly what you talk about. And there are plenty of times I want to cancel people. I have had those experiences where I'm like, ah. But I also have to remind myself, what if someone would have thrown me away years ago when I was complicated or when I had all of the questions or when it was difficult for someone to get through to me? What if someone would have canceled me and thrown me away? And does that mean that everyone is able to be saved, if that makes sense? I don't even want to say saved. If that means that everybody really desires or should have liberation, if I get to decide to cancel someone, I also get to decide what their existence means and how far their existence can go. And for me, liberation, not liberation, but cancel culture, just it feels like another form of oppression. I get to determine whether you exist based off of what you said or done. I don't believe that the world that we live in, that people have enough capacity to say, hey, this person can grow and shift and change. And so cancel culture just doesn't resonate for me. I feel like it's it's the opposite of liberation. Thank you. That's really powerful. And I interviewed a friend of mine, Victoria Santos, and for the podcast, her podcast came out earlier in December, her, the episode with her. She talked about compassion and boundaries. I didn't ask her the same question about cancel culture, but what you just named made me think of that. Because what I hear and what you're naming is you want to like move through the world in integrity with what you value. You want to embody what you are telling people. <laughs> Mm-hmm. to do, right? And to live into and what you're creating and trying to cultivate in the different spaces you move in. And you're not necessarily saying you have to be in deep relationship with everyone, especially people who are out to harm you. 
but you're here for liberation for all, like you're holding many different things at once. So it made me think about the way she talked about sometimes compassion is like the most compassionate thing we can do is set a boundary while we still can see that person in their humanity, but even if they're not seeing ours, but we can make a choice not to be in deep relationship with them for our own safety, for our own liberation in that moment, for our protection, whatever we might need. So yes. thank you for sharing that. We talked some about this moment. Of course, there are 15 things happening, more than that going on. And I'm wondering how you're taking care of yourself. Like, how are you finding refuge at this time? What are you doing to prioritize your self-care? And of course, I know the care of your family and your beloveds, your people. What are you doing to take care of yourself? The first thing I'm doing is really giving myself grace. (laughs) And I'm in deep questioning daily on what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. One example of that would be, by nature, I'm an introvert. I'm a Taurus as well. So I'm very like earthy and to myself. I know that for myself, I need a good four hours of my own like grounded spiritual time before I can interact with anyone else. So a hard boundary is for me that from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., I don't engage with anybody. I'm not engaging with social media. My husband knows not to call me <laughs> before 10 The kids are usually like off in their own world doing their own thing because I need that spiritual time to make sure that I'm about to show up in the world and whatever I'm going to face when I do start interacting is going to come from a grounded place within me and not from anxiety or fear. I feel like when we move from a place of fear again, we're not moving liberated. We're not moving from freedom. And so those four hours in the morning of time to myself, I get to journal, I get to pray, I get to read. Sometimes I'm deep in reflection and listening to the voices of other wisdom leaders like like you, Reverend Angel, Carrie Kelly. I dive into a lot of podcasts at that time and use those to guide my journaling as well as far as what do I believe a good ancestor is? What is my definition of liberation in this moment? And even showing up in this work If I'm going to speak to social justice, if I'm going to speak to liberation, that doesn't mean that I have to exclude joy. It doesn't mean that I have to exclude celebration and happiness. And so right now in this moment, one of the things I do is I have a a friend made a recording for me, and it's really affirming about how my ancestors celebrate that I don't take on the weight of the world, how they celebrate that it is not my responsibility to do the work for everyone. But by me living liberated, I'm an example to them that makes them want to live liberated. And so I listen to that every morning and then I go right into journaling. But one of my journaling practices in this moment is in training Lamarad Owens how to sit and do nothing for 10 minutes. (laughs) I hated it when I was first practicing it because I was like, man, I have so many things to do. Okay, at least let me write it down. Oh, I can't do anything. So I can't even write it down. And I really had to look at my relationship to doing versus being. And so now I can sit still for the whole 10 minutes doing nothing. And then the next 10 minutes, I'm able to journal and get whatever it is or whatever comes up out at that moment. And then I feel like I'm ready to start the day. I also nurture my body at that time. So I have some lemon water and make sure I took the vitamins or supplements that I'm taking. I try to, especially when it's warmer, go and get my feet on the grass and on the earth. So I can feel that connection as well. And right now with it being colder, since I can't put my feet on the earth, I make sure I'm checking out all of my plants around the house, whether that's touching the soil or pulling off dead leaves or just nurturing and caring for them. 
again, because my connection to nature and, and the relationship I feel like I have to nature teaches a lot of lessons. So one of my other teachers challenged me to keep a plant journal of my garden and my plants. And it gave me a big lesson of self-care. So I noticed there were a group of my plants that they just looked like they were dying. They weren't brown and crispy, but they were definitely like they were on their way to, to dying. And when I looked at them or when I went to care for them, the first thing I did was check the water meter on them. And after I checked the water meter that was in the plant, then I checked another meter that I have in my refrigerator, which tells me how humid it is and what the temperature of the house is. And the water meter tells, you know, if the soil is moist and if the plant's getting enough light. And I was like, both of these seem fine, but the plants look like they're dying. So I went to get water. And in that moment, what I heard spirit say was, the way that you're treating your plants right now, you're just checking the meters and trusting these meters to say that it's okay, is the way that you're treating yourself. So you're thinking, okay, I drank water yesterday, so I really don't need water today. Or you had eight hours of sleep two weeks ago, so you're fine to run on an hour and a half tonight. And really listening to that lesson as I was caring for the plants reminded me that I'm not going to bloom flowers. I'm not going to put out new leaves if I'm not caring for and nurturing myself in the way that I need because soil needs to be tended to. Sometimes the alkaline, it's too alkaline or sometimes it's too acidic. And how does that come into balance? I can be all in when it comes to healing work and how I show up in the world for liberation, but that liberation cannot be at the expense of my own suffering. It cannot be at the expense of me oppressing myself to make sure others are liberated and really connecting again, like with the plants and journaling has brought me back to I have to care for myself in order to care for others. In order to demonstrate liberation, I have to embody and live liberation for myself too. And slowing down, not cutting out things that are important to me. And when I'm ready to do that, when I feel like I'm in a rush and I'm getting dressed in the morning and I'm like, ah, I don't have to oil my body today. I'll just skip it and get dressed and it'll be fine. I ask myself most times in that moment, who wins if I don't? Because my skin's going to feel dry and itchy. And then I'm going to be irritated when I'm out doing something. So I can't really focus on the work that I'm doing. And then this is a very large (laughs) exaggeration, but this is how far I get into the rabbit hole for myself. So with this dry, itchy skin, what if it turns into eczema? What if it turns into psoriasis? Now I have to go to a doctor and I have to find someone to keep my children. And then I have to pay big pharma because now I need a prescription because I just didn't take the two minutes to stop at my own body. So who is winning? And it's not me. It's still white supremacy or dominant culture because I'm still feeding into it. And so, Kanae, you're going to stop. <laughs> you're going to take the two minutes and you're going to oil your body and put your clothes on. And if you're late, then you just thank them for being gracious enough to wait for you. But you have to live in liberation and you have to live that authentically. So those are some of the ways. <laughs> yes to everything you just named. I love that you need a certain amount of time to yourself and that you've scheduled it and it's protected time. So your family knows like it's your time and there's a consistent practice that you have. And some of that sounds like it's just deep listening, right? You're listening to yourself. You're listening to spirit, ancestors, others as a reflection of what's your own wisdom and then tending to the living things in your space, your plants. And your plants mirroring back how you might tend to yourself, how you might take care of yourself. And you mentioned journaling a few times. And I'm curious how long you've had a practice of journaling and how that 
came about. I'm not a huge journaler, even though I really want to be. I like don't type something on social media. That's not journaling. So I'm curious about that. When that started for you? I always enjoyed writing. I used to tell my mom when I was younger, I told her I wanted to be a philosopher. And so I feel like journaling and writing is very close to that. And probably about middle school when I started learning about poetry, I was really deeply into writing poetry and it just evolved from there just into writing. And there were a couple of years, especially the busyness of like my early twenties where I wasn't writing at all. And I do remember my mother always writing. My mom used to get up at 4 a.m. every morning while the rest of us would sleep. And she would have her own spiritual practice as well. Or you could hear her praying or reading her Bible and writing. And right before my mother passed, she had moved in and was living with me here. I remember wishing that when she passed, I had all of her journals so I could have her wisdom and have it with me that when I can't hear her voice or when I'm raising my own children, that I could go back and reflect on the wisdom that was there. And because I didn't have that, it led me to want to journal even more and leave, I don't want to say leave a map, but just leave some wisdom behind so that when I do transition, my children have something that they can go back to. They can go back and reflect, man, mom had a a wild day. We must have drove her crazy that day or Mommy really struggled in that moment trying to find liberation in raising children, not only for herself, but even to make sure the way that we view the world is from the freest expression of who we are. That's, I think, the biggest reason why I've really held on more to journaling, because whether I ever write a book or not, I feel like that wisdom is lasting. And even if my children or their children decide to just keep it and have just the handwriting of it, at least they know or they'll have it for themselves. I think that's what really pushes me more now to journal. Yeah. That makes me think about legacy and just what you said about handwriting, them being able to see your handwriting and it's deeper than your handwriting or to place themselves in the space that you were in when you were having whatever day you were having. I think that's such a gift. So I think it's really beautiful that you're thinking about it in that way as something that they can revisit. And now something you can revisit as a living ancestor at this time, if you go back to your journals. It's so interesting in this moment. So I don't have any of my mom's journals, but I was given her Bibles before she was transitioning, years before she was transitioning. I sometimes have little notes of hers next to scriptures and her own like interpretation. But amongst my siblings, when my mother passed, everyone wanted to claim parts of my mom. And I took all my mom's recipes and her recipe books where she, it was her handwriting. And it was so interesting to me that as the pandemic and all of these things are going on, especially this winter, all of my siblings have called at least for one or two recipes and being able to look back and see like her handwriting or taking a picture of that and being able to send that. And they're like, man, look at mom's writing. I think it just re-invokes that spirit of her always being with us and surrounding us and being an ancestor. So I love that. Is there a recipe that is your favorite recipe? That was your mom's? Hmm. I would have to say sweet potato pie. (laughs) I not have sweet potato pie at least once a year. Yeah. Oh, and I guess there's one other one. So when fall comes and everyone goes pumpkin spice crazy, my mom had this recipe. It was called Russian tea is what her recipe is called, but it's like a spice tea, an orange spice tea. And so I make that every year. And even if you're not a tea person, most people that 
have at least a cup, really love it. And so every fall, that's what I start off the fall with, a Russian tea recipe. Marking that transition. And yeah, that tea sounds familiar to me. I don't know where I've had it, but I have had something called Russian tea before mm-hmm. somewhere and can smell it now. Almost remember that smell and taste of it. I'm going to have to think about where I had it because maybe it's some old memory or connected to ancestors in some way. Earlier, you talked about transitioning into 2021 and how people are like, it's a new year. And yet the same things are happening that were happening Mm -hmm. (laughs) December 31st at 11.59. Same things are going on, people. And I do want to ask you, are there things you're working on in 2021, things you're excited about? I'm not talking about resolutions. I'm just more thinking about there is new energy when a new year comes in, even if we're responding to the same old things. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've been thinking about it. And so I'm just curious how that new energy has felt for you. And are there certain things you're focusing on as we've made a transition? Or maybe the solstice is more, that's more resonant for me than January 1st. But just thinking about transitions and we're in a new space, new time. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about a couple of different things. Transformation Yoga as a studio itself has been very much the way in the past for me to be behind the scenes of my work by uplifting and lifting the name of what transformation yoga is and not necessarily connect again that introvert part of me that would rather not be seen but do the work behind the scenes and so I really feel in this moment I'm not only being led and called and guided to be seen and step out and be seen more often but also a reminder of what is your work in this world and as you're showing up in that way as big as this work is that needs to be done and accomplished, it cannot be done solely by myself, which means that there's a birthing and a rising of other leaders that needs to come. And so having the opportunity to create and plant seeds into new leaders is really exciting for me. Having the opportunity to, again, invoke change and be that inner work instigator and asking new teachers that want to step into this work and want to step into the world. What is the intention in your heart that you're carrying? What does liberation look like and mean for you? What does it look like to embody these things? And having the opportunity to guide them along that path is really an honor. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about a class that Spirit has put on my heart probably since last summer is a class that I'm creating called Origins. And I can't exactly remember who it was, but I was listening to a podcast and the person that was speaking mentioned how as Americans, we are so separated from the origins of things, right? Like we go to Walmart when we need new curtains and we just grab them and we move about the day. We don't know the energy that's been put into them. We don't know the person that went and pulled the cotton or got the silkworms and created it. So we don't know the energy and all of the things that they put into it. And so it also creates a way for us to have this entitlement and this lack of appreciation for it because we can just go get more of it. And as I really sat with that, what I heard Spirit guiding me to is, what if we really go back to the origins of all of the things? What if we go back to the origins of ourselves? And so I'm looking forward to really creating and curating an experience based on origins And part of that being the fact that I am in Charleston, South Carolina, I mentioned our studio space and our studio location. And if you've ever been downtown Charleston, there, most of the buildings, they're really old, but most of the buildings all have original brick. And at least at our studio and in other places, I'm sure downtown Charleston, 
you can look at the bricks and you can find little people's fingerprints. And if you ever take a tour of any of the plantations, they can explain to you that those little fingerprints were actually enslaved children because the grown folks couldn't put their hands in the ovens to flip the bricks. So they used children's fingerprints. And so witnessing and being downtown and seeing these old buildings with all of this brick and no one really knowing, wow, those are little people that were enslaved. Those are their fingerprints on those bricks. So the origins of those bricks and the origins of these buildings that we're in We are so separated from that. So I'm excited to bring this class Origins because I would like to bring folks to an experience of regardless of whether your ancestors were enslaved or whether your ancestors were those that did the enslaving, to bring us back to the earth in a moment where we bring something that does invoke the spirit of our ancestors and allows us to grieve or mourn or celebrate in a way that we honor the origins of who we are before we were conditioned, before society created all of the constructs that it has. I'm really looking forward to creating that and being able to lead that in a way that is both liberatory and compassionate, but also really gets to the root of who a lot of us are at the core of our being. That's so, I don't know know the word for it, but I love it what you want to create and it just feels full circle in the way that you talked about the space and the ancestors (laughs) and at the beginning and then thinking about origins and reconnecting with that and what you shared about the bricks and the children's fingerprints like what does it actually mean to connect with where we are like truly where we are and to do that we have to connect with history and as you said the wounds and the grief and to also then be creating something that's generative and life-giving in that space too, through your practice and your space holding, that both are happening at the same time, that we can do both. So origins, I'm down. I like it a lot. And I'm glad that it sounds like spirits leading you in that way. So again, really happy that you listen, (laughs) listen to spirit and your ancestors and allow yourself to be led. Yeah. Is there anything else you want people to know about anything, any wisdom, anything else you want to share, anything that's coming up in addition to origins that you want people to know? Mm, I would want folks to know that Charleston is changing. And I say that outwardly and out loud because Georgia was a great example of what is possible. The fact that Georgia could go from red to blue There are a lot of people who have given up hope for the South to change. And I believe that all of the healers and light workers and organizers that are meant to help create that shift here in Charleston, whether that shift means to flip from red to blue or whether it means to actually acknowledge the wounds and move forward, I feel like without a shadow of a doubt, it's happening. And so thank you, Georgia, (laughs) for choosing to lead the way and show us what is possible. And also, I don't think folks will continue looking at Charleston as just the number one tourist destination. I don't think people will, again, hear that first in the South only in a political sense. But I feel like there's such healing and shift and liberation that's going to take place that Charleston will be known as a birthplace for healing and conciliation and truth-telling and for all people to be liberated. Yeah. So 
watch out for <laughs> South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And you're a big part of that and your community and what you're doing. I love what you said about a birthing or rebirthing happening there, that there's synergy and energy there. And the South gets a bad rap all the time. And yet <laughs> the South is in the struggle and has been for a long time and working tirelessly to shift things. So thank you for what you do to contribute to that change and birthing of something new. And thanks for saying yes. Thank you for spending time with me today in this way. And it was just really nice to connect and to hear more about how you think about your practice and your work and move through the world. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Always so great to be in company with you. I feel the same way about you. It's good. Thanks, Kane. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. You can support Finding Refuge by sharing it with your friends, family members, and beloveds, and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work by becoming a patron on Patreon. My name on Patreon is Skill in Action. Thank you so much, and take care, friends.